0: Well last week, I shared about some of my late night eating habits, and many of you enjoyed that and have had a little bit of fun with me throughout the week uh, suggesting uh, things and and imagining things that I might be eating at night. Um, today uh, we're going to we've got kind of a heavier topic, and we're going to talk more about things that keep us awake at night emotionally, uh, not because of what we've eaten but because of what we're thinking about and wrestling through. In Psalm 55, David talks about this feeling and, and prays this prayer to the Lord about feeling betrayed by another believer. Is it an experience you've had? A friend, family member, brother or sister in Christ who you've been partners, friends, you've done life together, you've entrusted your heart's, to each other and then suddenly you feel betrayed. You have this conflict. It's hard to wrestle through it and and your relationship feels like it's breaking. It's a hard thing for us to figure out. And so we're grateful that God saw fit to place in his words, in his word, in scripture, this song and prayer that guides us through painful things. And so this morning we're going to take a look at Psalm 55 and the words that, at least some of the words that David has offered us. Uh, we're also going to take a little peek at a situation in Acts where I, I think it kind of helps us kind of get a feeling, uh, a sense for an example of this, and then we're going to try to Let the whole Council of Scripture speak into that situation for us to help guide us through wrestling through situations like that. So Psalm 55, uh, we're going to read verses 12 through 14 and 20 through 23. And there we are. So, David writes uh, in Psalm 55, and he begins the psalm with this prayer, this cry out to the Lord, this lament about this difficult situation in his life. And in in verse 6, he even kind of says, Oh, that I would have wings like a dove, that I could just kind of fly away and escape this terrible situation. And then by the time he gets to verse 12, we see with greater clarity what he's talking about. So beginning at verse 12, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising up against me, I could hide. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. And then jumping down to verse 20, my companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked Into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you meet us with words of joy, that you are all that we need. You quench our thirst like we experienced last week, but we also thank you that you give us your word to guide us and instruct us in really painful, hard things as we kind of navigate the betrayal of a friend. And so we pray that you would speak to us and that you would allow your whole word, all your truth, to speak to us and guide us this morning that whether we're facing this difficult situation right now or we're still trying to recover from it in the past or we're just being prepared for it, should it come in the future, we pray that you would help us to see you, to turn our attention to you and allow your truth and your words to guide us each step of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, first... uh, I think there's a a powerful and helpful example for us embedded right in scripture. There are probably lots of them. Um, As I was studying this week, I I didn't see any commentator really try to suggest for me who the problem person was for David that inspired Psalm 55. But if we jump to the New Testament, to the early time of the church, we see uh, this kind of significant experience, between Paul and Barnabas that we learn about in, in Acts chapter 15. But before then, it's important to find out how it started. So, uh, in Acts chapter 9, we learn that Saul was this Pharisee who was attacking the church. He was chasing down followers of Jesus and having them arrested, and then he, he even oversaw their executions at times. And so, but then God met him on the road to Damascus as he was on this road, ready to arrest more believers. Jesus appeared to him as a bright light and spoke to him. And Saul came to faith in Jesus. And through this kind of—so he had this period. He, he went into the city and met with this believer, Ananias, and was guided through that. And had some other experiences to grow in that journey, but it came to this point where he wanted to meet with the apostles. But they were all afraid to meet with him because they thought that he was a pretty uh, sneaky, conniving, smart, and strategic guy. And they weren't sure that they could trust his declaration of conversion. And they were afraid that he was just using all these words as an opportunity to spy on them so that he could have them all arrested and killed. But this one man, Barnabas, an encourager, did the work to kind of talk to people and find out if this might be true. And he stood up for Paul and said, I think, sorry, he was still Saul at that time, but eventually God changed his name to Paul, so I'm just going to call him Paul. So Barnabas stood up before the apostles and defended Paul and said, "I think what God is doing in this man is real, and I think we should hear from him." And so Paul was able to come before the apostles and and learn more and share his heart, and then they sent Paul and Barnabas together out on missionary journeys. And for the next several chapters. In Acts, we see Paul and Barnabas, their, their names are almost interchangeable. Everywhere they go, they're doing great ministry, they're sharing their faith, they're meeting with, with people and proclaiming the gospel, and they're seeing people come to Christ, and their lives are threatened, and they stand up to that, and God does great and mighty things. So much so that so many Gentiles, non-Jews, are coming to Christ that there's this Uh, just confusion among the believers that, is it necessary for people who are not Jews to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus? Or is it possible for them in their own culture to follow Jesus just the way they are? And so in Acts 15, there's this big church council where they decide, and they decide, yes, people can really come to faith in Christ without becoming Jews first. And so after this big kind of celebration about that, then Paul and Barnabas talk about going on another missionary journey and going to revisit churches that they've been to before. And Barnabas says, you know, I'd really like to bring John Mark with us. And Paul says, absolutely not. I'm not going to waste my time with that kid. He came with us before and he deserted us and I just don't have the time or energy or emotional attention and energy to devote it to somebody who's just going to bail on us. And Barnabas says, but remember how I stood up for you? Now, none of, this is, whole conversation isn't recorded for us in Acts. This is my version of it. Um, Barnabas says, remember that time when you had come to Christ and no one would talk to you? And I stood up for you. And look what God has done. I know John Mark bailed on us, but I've talked to him and I can see what God is doing in him and I can see the potential in him and I think if he can come with us, God would do great and mighty things through him. Paul says, absolutely not. So here are two people who have been devoted to each other. Neither one, like... To decide who's sinning against the other would be hard, but they've come to this conflict. But I could see how Barnabas could see, could feel betrayed by Paul. Like, look what I've done for you. I did the same thing for you that I'm doing for John Mark, and you needed it, and he does too. Just trust me. But Paul says no. And so it's recorded for us in Acts that at this moment, the two of them part ways, and they both go on missionary journeys But Barnabas brings John Mark, and Paul brings Silas. And they are able to do great and mighty things, but for the rest of the book of Acts, we never again hear Paul and Barnabas' names together. Eventually, in Paul's epistles, we find out that he makes peace with John Mark, and he writes and talks about what a great partner in the gospel John Mark is. But that's the only hint of reconciliation we see. It's painful, and it's hard. And we're not the first ones to experience it. David experienced it, Paul and Barnabas, many others. But as we reflect on this and try to allow Scripture to speak into this for us, how are we supposed to move through this? How are we supposed to deal with this sense of betrayal, this brokenness in our relationships, and the pain that it... That comes with it. The first thing that we see, and it's right here in Psalm 55, when we're suffering betrayal, we look to the Lord. Verse 22, David says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. So as we experience this painful Betrayal in our own lives. Uh, if you're like me, I often get consumed with uh, practicing conversations with people who I feel hurt or offended by. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, when I'm driving home, uh, it's just one of the things that I just spend all my energy, just like imagining a conversation whether I think it's going to happen or not. Uh, whether I'm just telling them what I wish God would tell them, or if I'm practicing for what I might say face-to-face if I had the opportunity. But before we try to figure it out on our own, before we figure out all the things that they should hear from us, we want to cast our cares on the Lord and turn to him. We are not often well equipped uh, to fix the situation on our own, so we look to the Lord. Uh, it's also important to recognize that our, our perspective on the situation is limited. We, we know ourselves really well, but we don't know the motives or intentions of the other person. And it's really easy for us to think the worst of them and the best of us. Because we know we may have made some mistakes, but we know we meant it for good. But the other person hurt us. And so we want to look to the Lord because we are emotionally compromised and our our perspective is not perfect. So we turn to the Lord and we trust in him. And as we walk through it, we want to— it's clear from Scripture that our goal is to seek peace and growth. We want to find peace for ourselves in the Lord, peace in the situation, and we want to be peacemaking people. Well, we don't always want to be, but we're called to be. It's what God calls us to, and it's something that he can do in a mighty way in us, even when we're not well equipped for it. We want to seek growth because we we know that even in situations that are caused by sin or Satan's attacks on us, God is still present with us working to do good and to redeem the situation in our lives. And so as we turn to him, as we look to him, as we trust in him, he can redeem the situation, hopefully bring us to reconciliation and, and peace with each other. But at the very least, he can bring us to a better place in him, with him, a better understanding, and a deeper relationship and trust between us and the Lord. And so one of the first practical steps of that is we want to resist becoming enemies with the person in our hearts. It's really easy when we feel betrayed to start using words that describe our perception of that person's behavior In place of their name. Oh, he's such a jerk. She's so manipulative. And when we allow those things to define who this person is, we cut out a lot of things that are true about them. And so we want to look to the Lord. And we want to seek... Something I just said woke Siri up on my phone. Um... We want to look to the Lord, and we want to seek peace and growth. We want to res- resist becoming enemies with the person in our heart. In Romans 12, uh, we were just there in the generosity moment, but a little further down, Romans 12:17 and 18 says, "Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone." I was reflecting on that this morning, and uh, wow, that's that's a high calling to do something that that's right in the eyes of everyone, right? But, uh, and certainly in this situation, like the person that we're uh, having conflict with, they might not agree with our convictions, our decisions, or our words, but hopefully they might recognize if we're committed to looking to the Lord, being kind and humble in the process. Paul continues in Romans 12, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Yes, Paul is writing this. Same one who said, John Mark cannot come. Uh, But he's learning some things. And he's speaking truth. Uh, It's evidence that we don't have to be perfect people in order to say the truth that God has. So we don't want to just lash out and get retribution. We don't want to just make that person hurt the way we hurt. We want to turn to the Lord and we want to seek peace and growth in the situation. We want to let Jesus guide us more than we're guided by our drive for justice. And Jesus addresses situations like this in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. He says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Now that's, I'll just admit, something I can't even imagine being motivated to do. Uh, it's one thing to do it to somebody I, I don't know, but it says, love your enemies, do, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. I, I, if my enemy really came and said, can I borrow... And I said, Yes, just have it. I just can't imagine myself being in an emotional place where that would be true. But but Jesus calls us to that, and we know Jesus would. And He says, Then your reward will be great. You'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. When we're ready to get revenge, defend our rights, or simply offer correction, it's important to remember that Jesus called out to God the Father from the cross. He was innocent. He hadn't committed any sin. He did not deserve to die. But instead of pulling himself off the cross and telling us how right and righteous and perfect he was, He was willing to let us kill him. And he called out from the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. We want to seek peace and growth. And we turn to the Lord and in our inadequacy, it might be hard for us to say, Father, forgive them because they didn't know what they're doing because we assume that they knew exactly what they were doing and it hurt us a lot. but if we can at least say, Lord, I can trust you to know exactly what needs to be done. We're in a much better place. I think just for a picture, it's helpful, you know, if we think of a courtroom, the judge sits up higher and has a great perspective on everything that's happening, right? And when we're in conflict, with someone, when our, our relationship is broken, we, we're either the defendant or the, what's the P word? Plaintiff. There we are. Thank you. I had it earlier today. It just flew away, and I didn't want to spend too much time. Um, now, In that situation, that imperfect situation outside the courtroom, we might be kind of vacillating between defendant and plaintiff all the time. But the challenge is that from our perspective, we think we have the right to be the judge. And we want to fix it the way that we think it should be fixed. But the judge's seat doesn't belong to us. We don't want to steal his chair or her chair. It's God's so Anyway, so we look to the Lord. We want to trust him to be the good and righteous judge who sees all things and knows exactly what we need. Knows what we need, knows what they need, and we want to trust him to continue to do his work in our lives. We don't want to steal the judge's seat because it doesn't belong to us. As I said before, it's easy for us to assume the worst When things happen to us that we don't fully understand, our brains need to help us find peace by giving us a reason. But the thing is, our brain doesn't care if it's true or not. It just wants to give us a reason. So as long as we can say, that person is a jerk, then we can find peace and we have a reason that that happened and then we can figure out what to do next. But that might not be a sufficient reason And our assumptions about that person or their motivations could be totally wrong. Now maybe we've got long history with them and we've seen it before and we know how it works. But not always. And regardless, our perception is not as good and accurate as God's. So we look to the Lord. We seek peace and growth. And we need to remember our own journey. And by that, I think a key part of that is to remember God's grace to us. The fact that we need it and the fact that he gives it. Remembering God's grace to us is critical for finding the strength to respond in a godly way and for us to find healing. We look to the Lord, and we focus on our relationship with him. We can't control the other person, but we can submit ourselves to the Lord. And remembering our journey with the Lord helps keep our perspective balanced and helps us entrust the situation to Jesus. Now there are a bunch of verses on the screen. They're in your bulletin. Uh, I'm not going to spend time uh, talking about all of them, but I invite you to reflect on them. I might highlight a few. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Paul confesses, but I'm the worst, the least of all the apostles, because I fought against God himself. Verse 10 says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. That simple confession, in the midst of my pain, as I'm talking to the Lord, I turn to the Lord and I, I'm trying to have a right perspective. And usually, that's not where I start. Usually, I start with, Dear Lord, please help that person figure out this and this and this and this, right? And then, usually, the list gets so long that it's a long enough time for me to go, Oh, wait, I don't have to figure this out for God, and He probably knows better than I do what needs to happen. And then I say, I'm sorry, Lord for trying to take your seat. Lord, I know that you rescued me when I was in the pit of despair. That I'm not perfect. That my sins, the cost of my sins should be hell. And you set me free to be your child. I know you love this person the way you love me. And I don't want to treat them in a way that makes it hard for them to experience that from you. Even though I kinda want to. Second Corinthians twelve nine reminds us that God's grace is sufficient for us. It's enough. And that when we're weak, he is strong. And so when we're turning to the Lord and we're saying, Lord, I want to do all these things and I, I know you call me to something better and I don't have the strength, then he says, that's okay because I know exactly how to handle this situation and you've done the right thing by coming to me, confessing it, and trusting me. Passages in, passages in Titus uh, help us kind of live in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Titus 2, 11 through 14 reminds us that the grace of God equips us, makes us strong, compels us to say no to ungodliness. And when we are ready to say, see, I need to tell that person all these things, we also need to put a check in our spirit and pause and breathe just a moment so that the Lord can say But it also equips you to say no to ungodliness that's growing in you. That I don't have to find retribution the way I want to. I can entrust that to the Lord. Because God's grace is sufficient for me. As we turn to James 4, 7 through 10, I skipped a couple phrases, but the bulk of what it says is here. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, when we feel betrayed and hurt, by other people, especially when they're trusted people, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't supposed to treat us that way. We wanna fix it and we wanna do it in a way that helps us feel better. And certainly most of the time, our motivation is we want this to get fixed, like we don't want to stay in this broken relationship with this person. We wanna be friends with them again. Sometimes the hurt is so deep, we don't even know how to imagine that. So James reminds us, just like David did, submit yourselves then to God. And we seek peace and growth, we confess our sin. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We confess, Lord, I'm a mess about this, and I I know what I want. I know what I think needs to happen, but I really want to trust you with it instead. And James reminds us that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. He will restore us. He will equip us and renew us and strengthen us. We can soar on wings like eagles in his strength. Whereas ours... Trying to fix it our way might not always be best. So I've given you a glimpse, a little bit, but it might be helpful to replay. Just you might talk to God very differently than I do, but this is just kind of how I process in my own faith, and um, just having that picture might be helpful for you. So in a situation where I'm feeling hurt, betrayed, broken-hearted, I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, this should not have happened. I can't believe this person did this to me. You know, I'm being honest. I don't start with the sinless, kind of glorified perspective. I start with where I'm at. But when that catch in the... The Spirit comes, as the Spirit moves me, I say, Lord, I know I'm not the judge and I shouldn't be. You're the good and right judge and you see all things perfectly. I want to trust you. It's hard for me right now, but I I pray that you would help me step back and let you do your work. Because you have great plans for me and I know that you've pulled me out of the pit. Of sin and despair. You've done it before, and you can pull me out of the pit of pain right now. But all, I'm thinking so many things about this person that I know you do not think about them. You know the parts that are true but I know your opinion of them hasn't changed because of this situation because you knew all this already. And you can see all the good stuff that I can't see. And I don't want to get in the way of the work that you want to do in their lives. So I pray that you'd move in them. Lord, convict me of my own sin and convict them too. Lord, if it's possible for us to reconcile, I pray that you would lead us to that. If it's not safe for us to do that, if it's not wise, if we have to wait, I'll wait on you. But I pray that you'd make it clear what steps I'm supposed to take. That that would be possible in my own heart and possible in what I do toward this person. I know your work is not finished and I pray that you'd complete the work that you began in me and in them for your glory your kingdom would grow in us and around us. We rely on God's grace for ourselves, and we rely on God's grace to guide us through the situation. It's best if God's grace shapes the situation, even though we don't always want it. So that our friend, who feels more like an enemy, can experience the love and grace of Jesus. We want to trust God to be at work in us and in the situation. His grace is sufficient for us. Now there are all kinds of situations that we might be in. Some feel pretty abusive and dangerously unhealthy. So. The possibility of reconciliation may be good, it may not be. It may be imagined, it may not be. But as we follow these steps in these painful situations, as we turn to the Lord, seek peace and growth, and remember our own journey and confess it to the Lord, then we're focusing not on the situation and how it needs to be solved, not on the other person and all they've done to us, We're focusing on the Lord and what he wants to do in us. Because that's the part that we can move in. We can't control what the other person's going to do. We don't even understand what they actually feel or think or what motivates them. We can find Jesus in this moment. He's right there and he's at work in us. And we can trust him to do good and perfect work in us. Let's pray. Father God, the pain of betrayal is big. It's hard, but you know it. You were betrayed by a friend's kiss. You know what it feels like. It led to your death, and lots of times emotionally it feels like that to us too. We pray that you would move in us. This morning, as we reflect on these words from David, from the Psalms that you've embedded in your word for us, many of us are having situations brought to the surface that we thought we had peace with, but now we maybe feel less peaceful about it. But we pray that you give us the strength to trust you, to let you stay on your judge's seat, Trust you to do good and right things. We pray that you would help us find peace in you and where it's possible by your work, peace with the other person. We want to release them to your care. We pray that you would grow our faith. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your powerful work and we thank you for the power of the gospel. Do your work in us. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.